But we are in a series called Read Your Bible. And in this series, Read Your Bible, the goal of this series, I don't think Chris hit it this hard last week, but it's one we hit every week. The goal of the Read Your Bible series is really simple. Does anybody know what the goal is? Yeah, it's to read your Bible. Okay, It's not to have the Bible read to you. It's not for somebody to go and, and, and come alongside and get you a Bible. Like It's for you to take the actual step to read your Bible. And listen, we know there's a lot of people in our church that have great disciplines and spiritual disciplines. You know, they're, you know, and we, and we, we want to encourage you, you know, go deep, get, get into a, get into a Bible study, you know, get, get a, a Bible with um, study notes in it. That's fantastic. Read through the Bible in a year. Awesome. You know, learn some hermeneutics. Fantastic. Like we'd love to continue to equip you around these areas. But if you're anything like me and anybody else, there are just dry seasons in your life where maybe you've had a pretty decent run at it. You've had a pretty decent history. And all of a sudden, you know how it is with any habit, you know, it takes uh, a year to create one and a day to lose it. Everybody with me, right? So in that case, what we encourage you to do, especially in this series, is just soap through Scripture, all right? Soap through Scripture. No matter what happens, no matter, no matter where you are today, you can do this tomorrow morning. You can do this tonight. You can choose a Scripture to read. You can look at the observations in the text you can consider the application that God might have in the text for you, and then you can pray about applying that text. Does that make sense? It's very simple. That's why we call it soap. No matter what else fails, you can always soap through Scripture. So our goal in the Read Your Bible series is to kind of walk through books of the Bible or passages of the Bible with kind of a soap intention. Chris did this, Pastor Chris did this last week, live and on the scene, like he had his Bible up and you could see a version of it on his iPad. I'm not doing all that. I'm not near as advanced as he is on that stuff. So uh, he did that live for us just to get a feel for it. Today I'm going to walk us through, we're going to be in chapters 3 and 4. We're walking through First and Second Peter. Uh, the letter that Peter wrote to the church, um, uh, in, the, in the church, in, in, in the new church. And so he, we're looking at those two, two books, but we're breaking that up into, into the weeks. And so today is chapter three and four. And so to recap last week, I'm going to start where we start in chapter three, because it's a great way to see where we start. Chapter three starts this, in the same way. Now, when you see a phrase like that, or therefore, or whatever the case is, in light of, you want to go back to find out in the same way what? What was the same way? Because he's getting ready to give some instruction, but he's basically saying very, you know, what I've already said to you before, in the same way do these things. And so just to recap last week, in the same way means some of the things we highlighted last week are observed. That, Paul, that Peter talks about us being temporary residents and foreigners of this earth. Uh, that before we had no identity in Christ, but now we have Christ's identity. That holiness is not perfection. Then when he calls us to holiness, it's not about being perfect. It's about being with Jesus. It's about being set apart because of who Jesus is. Uh, the call to prepare our minds and exercise self-control. Wow, he hit that so well last week in terms of what Peter was saying. That does take an effort on our part to really put these disciplines into place and how we honor God by honoring others and each other. So, so here is Paul continuing his letter to the church. And he says, in the same way, now he's going to give some more specific examples. He finished by giving some specific examples in chapter 2. And he's going to continue giving some very specific charges and instructions to the church. Let's see this first. This is first to wives. In the same way, you wives accept the authority of your husbands then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, 
Your godly lives will speak to them without any words. It says they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, beautiful clothes, basically just the outward appearance. He said you should clothe yourself instead. Oftentimes when I put things in yellow, it's because these are the observations that I'm seeing. Clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Now, again, don't, don't you, there's lots of things to dive into here. Lots of things you could observe. Again, contextually, it's not that different than it is today. Uh, in his time, you know, if, if, a, if a man came to faith, he oftentimes would bring his family, right? You'd, you'd sort of get the kids and you'd get um, uh, the wife as well. But in his time, as well as ours, many, pe- many wives, many women were showing up without their husbands because they, through relationship and through the call, had understood who Christ was and accepted him uh, and were a part of the, the church, but the husband was not. And so very often, you know, there was an encouragement to, hey, don't disrespect your husbands. Don't, don't, don't do some things that cause the problems. I know you want to come to church. It's great. But, but don't beat him over the head with this thing. Like, live your life in such a way that calls him out. Live, live your life in such a way. I know he's not coming to church with you, but live your life in such a way that he sees a difference in your life. And so uh, he, I, I basically highlighted again, the response was, clothe yourself instead with, which means to me, like, there is a choice of the matter to what you focus on. And that's the part that I, I was kind of hit on. I was like, wow, there's, a, there's an outward appearance, you know, our social media, our, you know, our physical looks, our personalities, there's things that we focus on. And yet it says, clothe yourself instead with something that matters more, this spirit that God gave you that pleases him. You know, like what is that spirit that God has placed in you that pleases him that Peter's like, no, clothe yourself with this instead. This is one of my observations. He goes on to talk to husbands and he says, in the same way, husbands, give honor to your wives. I love that give honor part. That's the part that really jumped out to me. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together, right? Since you may be weaker than, or uh, she may be weaker than you are, But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. I had to highlight that part too. Because those two things that kind of jumped out to me is like, what does this look like to treat? And he's not talking to all men. He's talking to to husbands. Again, wives and husbands. Wives, do this. Clothe yourself instead with this. Husbands, honor your wives. You know? Live with her in understanding. What does that mean? It means that, guys, you don't get the excuse of just looking at your wife and going, you crazy, girl. You're crazy. I don't understand you at all. And then just kind of go on. Okay? No. Live with your wife with understanding. That's kind of a goal. Should be a goal in your marriage. Live with your wife. You're going to live with her for the rest of your life. Live with her with a state of understanding. And I love the fact that he says, you know, again, highlighting the bigger picture that how we relate to one another really does reflect on how we relate to God, okay? I mean, there's, there's this idea. He wasn't talking about physical strength necessarily only. In ter- he was just talking about culturally. Look, men tend to bulldoze their way through things. Men tend to oppress. Men tend to use their strength in a way that's not so always awesome. That's what men tend to do, especially without God. So he's basically saying, look, men, don't, don't, don't use this as an oppressive, you know, uh, hindering kind of way. You're supposed to be honoring your wife, She's an equal partner in this life with you. 
He says, you don't want your prayers to go hindered. You know, you don't want, you don't want your prayers... Not, like, basically, it's Peter's way of saying, look, you can't look at God and say, God, please bless my children and bless my family if you're being a jerk to your spouse. Everybody with me on that? It's a little too quiet. I feel like I've stepped on toes in, in the room. All right. No one elbow each other in this, in this moment, okay? I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, God has given you a call to honor your spouse. You know, you're like, hey, God, would you bless this crazy woman that I'm married to? And God's like, go first, right? You honor her. That's what you're called to do. So don't, you don't want to treat your spouse in such a way that he says that your prayers would be hindered. I mean, that just speaks a lot to me in terms of just, again, the reflection of how we live matters to one another. And then he goes on to, to give this kind of all skate or all call, if you will. All of you, talking to the church, should be of one mind. Sympathize with one another. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, period, right? You can end it right there. He's talked about all sorts of specific things from chapter 2 to chapter 3. He says that's what God's calling you to do. Live your life in such a way that honors others as you honor God. That's what he's called you to do. But I love this part that he says he will grant you his, what's the word? Say it out loud, what's the word? He will grant you his blessings, right? That's what he will do. He will grant you his blessings. Now, listen, we have a pretty mixed up view of what blessing is in our culture, in our country, honestly, in our Western modern life. Don't, don't observe blessing or immediately think of blessing as money, right, or wealth. Don't, don't view blessing that way. Blessing is the best biblical definition for blessing that I have ever found are the two words enough and plenty, okay? Why? Because God has always been in, in, in at work in terms of blessing his children with enough, with joy, with satisfaction, with contentment, as well as blessing them with the opportunity to be generous, to be able to share and plenty to share with others, which is why I can, you know, I've been in many countries around the world and you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in a third world country with poverty. It doesn't matter if you're in, a, in, a, in an oppressed country where you can't be a Christian, you know, publicly. You're going to find Christians there who consider themselves blessed. Why? Because in their context, God has given them satisfaction and contentment and joy. And in comparison to us, we can't understand that because we view blessing poorly. But it's this idea of enough and plenty. The best definition. So then he pulls, I love this, Peter pulls from their scripture. So very similar to what we do in church, right? I'm like, you know, God wants you to love people. And then I go to the, to the scripture and go, see where Jesus said that you need to love people, right? That's what I'm doing. That's, that's what I do as a pastor. Peter, in his letter to the church, goes to their scriptures, okay, which is the Old Testament, probably the Gospels even at that point, the record of the Gospels, but he's primarily going to their Old Testament scriptures to prove the point that he's made. Again, how we live with one another matters. And, and in terms of how we honor others, we honor God. The scriptures say, and he's pulling from Psalm 34, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. 
Your, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, this is great. Again, I love the fact that he pulls this from, from the Psalms because it's an amazing, encouraging passing. And it really does help enforce kind of the theology of blessing, if you will, in terms of the proper way of understanding that God does bless us. God does bless those who do right, who obey him, who live according to his life, his rules and his ideals and his instructions. Like, God does bless us. He has a blessing for us. But if we're not careful, which so oftentimes is the case when we're not reading our Bible, but instead cherry-picking verses that, you know, come on the bottom of people's emails or, you know, something you saw on a social media post, cherry-picking verses like this that feed into a false theology or a false doctrine, which I call karma Christianity. You guys all know what karma Christianity is? You know what karma is, right? What goes around comes around, you know? Karma is kind of this idea of destiny, what we're destined for. And so what oftentimes happens, again, when we take these verses and kind of cherry pick them out and we kind of focus on just the theology of blessing, then we want to basically look at a verse like this and be like, okay, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything bad. Only say good things. Keep the peace. Do what's right. God hears your prayers. Oh, he's going to turn his face against those who don't. And we have this kind of karma Christianity that feeds this idea that when we do that, suffering or hardship is something that's going to happen to people outside of that call. Suffering and hardship is going to happen only to the people that are doing wrong, that aren't keeping the peace, that aren't keeping their mouths shut, that do tell lies. Everybody with me? And what goes around comes around. If that's the way you live your life, you're going to receive the, the hardships and suffering that come with that. But... If I live my way this way, God has blessing for me. And that, guys, that is, that is a distortion of truth. Why do I say that? Because it is true, but it's a distortion. It's not the whole truth. It's not all the truth. It's a distortion of what might be individually true. And here's why the context matters. Here's why we're called to read our Bible. Because most of the time, if you just read things in their context, you know, the Bible app and, and Bible.com, if you search a verse, if you want to look up, uh, show me, you know, show me 1 Peter 3, uh, 11, you know. Okay, I'll see it. Great. Awesome. And then there's a little button at the bottom that says, would you like to read the whole chapter? Would you like to read the whole thing? And I love the fact that that button is there because what that button is prompting you to do is like, would you like to see what this actually means versus what somebody online told you it meant? Would you like to see the full context of this? And here's Peter where he begins, not begins because, I'm sorry, he continues. He, he began in chapters 1 and 2 to talk a little bit about this idea of suffering for the sake of Christ. So here's Peter setting them up with an understanding, a theology of blessing, an understanding of, you know, good things come when you live according to God's way and according to God's ideals and instructions. There's a blessing. And then he goes on to say this. He says, now who's going to want to harm you if you're eager to do good? And most of, the, most of the karma Christians would go, yeah, no one, right? And he says, but even if you suffer, 
for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So here Peter says, oh, by the way, even when suffering comes and you're doing good, there's still blessing. There's still a reward for it. Not just, not just as a, you, 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 this idea of blessing isn't just a way to bypass suffering. Your faith isn't built just to bypass suffering. It's a way to understand it and even to have purpose as you walk through it. And then he makes a statement that I, I'm not going to read, but it's right there. It's a reminder and a prompt that when we live with Christ as Lord of our lives, we're talking about we're living in such a way that Christ is everything to us. I'm not talking about cultural Christianity. I'm not talking about caramel, karma Christianity. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, half-hearted faith. I'm talking about when you live your life where Jesus is king. And he says, if, uh, go to the next verse, if someone then asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. They're not going to understand that. Be ready to explain it. And then he goes on to say this. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Why? You want to keep your conscience clear. Even if people speak against you, they're going to be ashamed. Why? Because they're going to see the good life you're living because you belong to Jesus. Again, how we live matters. Then he goes on and says, remember, it's better to suffer for God for doing good. It's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Now, this is a tough one because what this introduces is a theology of suffering. That there is a possibility, possibility, that even if you suffer and go through hardships and go through trials for the right reasons, for him, that might be what God wants. And no modern Christian wants to hear that. No modern, spoiled never received, never, never, never even experienced any type of persecution in our lives for the sake of Jesus. Wants to hear that should that happen, not only will he bless you, not only is there a reward, but should that suffering come, that might actually be a part of what God has planned, or at least what God wants for the moment. Let's go ahead and read um, this portion, because, well, let me give you some history first. One of the reasons, we didn't touch base on this last week, but I wanted to kind of hit it today. One of the reasons it's so important that, that Peter spends a significant amount of time in chapter 3 and 4 talking about this theology of suffering, our faith, how we see God through the lens of suffering, is because when Peter is writing this, he's writing it during the time of the most intense persecution on Christians. Okay? Peter's letter to the church is written during the time frame of the Roman Emperor Nero. And if you don't know anything about history, you know, Tacitus, the, uh, the historian, gives us lots of insight, uh, but there's lots of things written about the cruelty of the Emperor Nero, especially not just to his own people, but to Christians especially. And I'll save the graphic stuff, but I mean, he would impale Christians. This is the torture and the death and everything else. He would impale Christians and then set them on fire to light the pathway to his palace and his gardens. Okay, we're, we're talking about that kind of hardship, suffering, and cruelty that Peter is writing this, these words in. So just understand, I, I want you to give you context that as he talks about this, like we might feel a little uneasy, 
just imagine how they felt in terms of what they were experiencing as, as Peter is challenging them to see their faith through the lens of the suffering that they may experience. So let's go to chapter 4. This is our read-along passage. Okay, so open up your uh, version of God's Word. You can, if you want to get a Bible in the breezeway, if you don't own a Bible, there's Bibles in the breezeway. Those are your free gift to you. Uh, feel free to, to take that. Uh, if you want to turn on your phone or whatever, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm just going to read the first few verses. I'm in the New Living Translation, by the way. It says it this way. This is Peter. So then, again, he ended with the fact that, that, that you're going to share your faith, and even then, if, God want, if that's what God wants, it's better to suffer for, for that persecution, if that's what God wants, than to, to, than to do wrong. And he says, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will, but, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their ter- terrible worship of idols. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild, destructive things that they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they will live, or now live, forever with God in spirit. Peter is addressing the hardship of their day, the the struggle and the suffering of their day. And what he was basically saying was like, look, there is a significant difference if you physically experience the kind of suffering that Christ did and for Christ. There's something different about that. And, and, and I'll be honest, if you go around the world, if you, if you talk with missionaries, if you go to other parts of the world where Christianity is not this Western kind of lazy, spoiled religion with a bunch of cultural and half-hearted believers. You have people who actually have physically taken on the marks of their faith and trust in, in Jesus. He, when he says they're done with sin, it doesn't mean they're no, they, don't, they don't struggle with sin anymore. What, they're basically, what he's basically saying is, yeah, they're no, longer indul- they're no longer going to indulge the same things. Like, that doesn't have an appeal to them. Like, this, they're not playing games anymore. They have, been, they have suffered for the name and, and cause of Christ. They're not playing games. This isn't a half-hearted thing. And he says, so, so your friends are going to slander you. So what? You know, God's going to judge all of us, the living and the dead. And he goes on to say, this is why, he says, you know, he's talking about the present tense of the church. He says, it was preached to the living and the dead, meaning that it's being preached to all, but even those who are dead, talking about not physically dead, but spiritually dead, are going to be alive with Christ because of the gospel that's being preached. That's how important this is. 
But we cannot get past, and I don't want to move past it too quickly. I'm going to give you a quick term that I, I used years ago. We cannot get past the fact that as who we are, just where we live and who we are, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult in the culture we live in. We're born and we live in the safest neighborhoods of the safest city, of the safest community, of the safest states, in the safest country in the world. And it is going to be difficult to, to, to not want to either overcorrect or, or live in the tension that, yes, the, blessing of, the theology of blessing exists in terms of living the way God's called us to live and being blessed by God, but the theology of suffering is just as real, meaning that even if we suffer and go through the hardships and the struggles and we do this even when we do good, there is still blessing from God. That our lives are not built to try to bypass these things, but to walk through them with Him. And that it's going to be very different for everybody, but, it, but there's some things that are going to be the same. And, and listen, some people will overcorrect. Okay, just hear me. Some people will overcorrect. Like, you might have even heard Christians like before, like, man, we're just not suffering enough for Jesus. We need to bring some suffering into our lives. Look, I'm not asking God for any more suffering. I know it's coming. But there's people who kind of overcorrect, like, ah, oh, we're a little too lazadaisical and blah. We should, be, we should be experienced more of the pinch. And I'm like, oh, okay, I understand what you're saying, but you really are trying to overbear, kind of overcorrect, if you will, the fact that people, yes, don't want to believe in a theology of suffering. They want to only focus on the theology of blessing, to see God only in light of that. And so I penned this several years ago. And I penned this for my benefit. Just understand, uh, this was for me. Okay, I, I shared it with the church ba way back then, probably five years ago. But I want to share it with you now because it, it just this was something that I needed to work through. It's a question that I needed to answer if I was going to live my life with the proper theology of suffering. And it's this question: Can God be a good, good father? You know, we love that song, right? It's who He is. Can he be a good father who's all-powerful and able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine? Merciful and sovereign over all the things he loves us so much that he sacrificed his only son for us and for our sins. And yet, and yet, we can fully experience hatred, abuse, unjust persecution, financial ruin, fatal diseases, depression, mental illness, devastating consequences of personal sin, irreparable chronic pain, loneliness and despair, violence and death, and still be at the center of His perfect will? Do you understand the tension of that? That He's a God who can heal miraculously? And yet you might have to die through a horrible, chronic, long-term illness for years and years and still be at the center of God's will? How does that sit with you? Can God be both a good, good father and you struggle with depression? Like deep, deep, chemical, not circumstantial, your life is the best life anybody could even look for. Personal, chemical, 
horrible depression and still be at the center of his will? Yes. That's the answer to the question. You can't get to that answer if you only want to hear about the theology of blessing. You can't get there. And that's one of the reasons, again, as we read Peter, 1 Peter, Peter's living this out. Peter's having to live this out. And he heard Jesus. Listen, all the disciples heard Jesus talk about the suffering that would come because of knowing him, you know, the the world that was going to be upon them when he left. They all heard Jesus give this example after time after time. Like like this, I pulled this from John. You know, Peter would have heard Jesus say, I've told you this. Okay, he just gave a whole list of what's going to happen to him and how he's going to die and it's going to be this. And he says, I just told you all this so that you could have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because i've overcome the world peter would have heard jesus say those words take heart you're going to experience suffering take heart i have overcome the world guys half of the half of the hardship we experience in our lives is not just the hardship itself, but the false expectation that God should have kept it from us. Everybody with me? Like that's half the problems we have sometimes in understanding this. Now, Peter, not only did he, not only did he experience this by, by hearing Jesus, not only did he uh, experience this personally in his life, but I love the fact that now he's having to lead the church through, again, one of the most intense times of suffering and persecution in the world. And here, I love this phrase, the end of the world is coming soon. I guess, right? I mean, look, what, why would Peter have thought any differently? Jesus said, I'll be right back. I mean, Jesus said those words. And this was the worst they had ever seen it. So here's Peter saying, look, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most importantly of all, continue to show deep love for one another, each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Cheerfully share your home with those in need and a meal or a place to stay. He goes on and actually says, you've been given these spiritual gifts. And he said, from this variety of spiritual gifts that God's given his people, and he's like, use it well to serve one another in love. And, and I love the fact that he's like, the biggest takeaway I take from this part of, the, of his letter is like, look, look, he could have written this last week, okay? The world is coming to an end soon, right? It's going to hell in a handbasket. Y'all with me? I don't know if we feel it any more than he felt it. I'm sure he felt it more. But, but his call was, your call as a follower of Christ hasn't changed doesn't matter if it comes tomorrow. Continue to love one another the way you're supposed to love one another. Continue to share the gifts and resources you have to those in need. Can double down just because the world's going to hell in a handbasket, just because you think it's going to end this fall or it's, going to, or it's coming at any point. doesn't matter. You're supposed to double down on the way he's called you to live. It doesn't matter what's happening. And it doesn't matter the suffering you're going through. That's basically what he was saying. It's time to get in there and go after it. 
Then he says this, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Now, I'm going to pause it here because this came to me this morning. And I don't know if God just gave it to me because I'm, I'm, I am who I am, but it's just one of those things like, I'll just ask you your own experience. Have you ever had a moment in your life, okay, men and women, have you ever had a, moms and dads, have you ever had a moment in your life where you found yourself talking to your children and all you could hear was your parents? Everybody with me? Anybody, anybody else have this with me? Okay, so, so like for me, I just thought about it this morning, like my dad, like I would take his tools and I would take stuff out of the plate and I wouldn't be all that careful about putting things back. And my dad would eventually be like, you giving me lessons on, well, you got to put things back where you found them and you got to do this. And then he would start stealing things from me and not telling me that he took them as a way to helpfully get the lesson across. And, and, and my kids, I've got three great kids, but they don't, none of them know how to put anything back. And I want to pull my hair out, and there's times at which I'm just kind of like, I feel that tension of like, I'm saying the things that I heard my dad say. And in this moment, man, I just, what jumped out at me was that here is, Paul, here is Peter having to lead the church through suffering. And, and he is having to say all the things that Jesus said to him. His spiritual father his rabbi, his Lord. He's having to basically repeat all the same things that he wasn't paying attention to either, right? Jesus, or, uh, Jesus told Peter, Peter, the very first hint of persecution that comes your way, the very first time that it even, you even feel like you're getting ready to suffer, you're going to deny that you even know me. And you remember Peter? He was like, no, it's not going to happen. Right? Cowardly lion is what I'm thinking. Bring it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Peter's like, no, there's no way that's going to happen. What happened? Right? The moment he got questioned by a little girl at a campfire, he denied knowing Jesus at all. And here's Peter leading the church to share their faith boldly, to live their life in such a way, even at the dawn of what he felt like was the end, to double down. And when you suffer, don't be surprised, as if it wasn't supposed to happen. Don't be shocked. He says, instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, for stealing, for making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But... It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. Don't act like, don't be so surprised. Like, have the right kind of faith in your life that suffering comes. Not that you enjoy it. Again, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not asking for it. But you don't have to 
you don't have to show the world that you don't know your Bible and you haven't read anything because you start acting shocked when something bad happens to you. Like, I'm, I'm one of Jesus' kids. I'm not supposed to be happening to this. This isn't supposed to be happening to me. No, that's, not, that's nothing. Nothing says that. And, and so here we are living our lives in such a way that, that we, we, we need to figure out as quickly as we can, especially in our day and time, how to walk through the suffering, even with the things we don't understand, with an understanding that God is still faithful. That even if we suffer because of Christ, we share in his suffering and we share everything else with him too. Does that make sense? Like that's what Peter's really getting down to. And guys, I, 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 this is a quote that I heard years ago as well, um, and it's, it was from the context of missionaries overseas, like missionaries going over and, and sometimes being killed and sometimes missionaries going and, and just living through intense persecution. And, and, and Oswald Chambers, this is one of his quotes, he was talking about the fact that we just don't get it. And so here's one of his quotes. He said, look at God's incredible waste of his saints, according to the world's judgment. God seems to plant his saints in the most useless places. It's basically Oswald saying, isn't it an incredible waste to send this incredibly bright family to China? Like, 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 and according to how the world sees success and the world judges things, what an incredible waste. And then he goes on to say, well, sometimes we flip it. We say sometimes in our suffering, well, God intends for me to be here because I'm so useful to him. That's playing the victim card. Does that make sense? Like that's, that's kind of like, oh, I'm oh, suffering for Jesus. You know? Because I got banned off Facebook. You know, I'm suffering for Jesus. That doesn't work either. Matter of fact, he says, Jesus never measured his life by how or where he was of the greatest use. Jesus didn't get up in the morning after he fed the 5,000 and said, you know what? I mean, how can I be used of greater, greatest use today? Maybe I should feed 10,000. Maybe I, should feed, maybe I should feed a whole city. Jesus didn't measure his life by where he was going to be of the greatest use. He did exactly and said exactly what God told him to do and say. He obeyed and lived and, 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 and spoke every day according to what his father wanted. And here's the way Oswald Chambers ends this. He says, God places his saints where, where they will bring him the most glory where they will bring the most glory to him, and we are totally incapable of judging where that may be. Trust me, I didn't like this quote the first time I read it either. But the more I've seen it, the more I've understood it. The more I've prayed for people to experience a financial blessing, the more I've prayed for people to experience a physical healing, and seeing those prayers come and go, I'm incapable of knowing exactly where his saints will bring him the glory that is his. I'm incapable of judging that. Doesn't stop me from praying, right? Doesn't stop me from praying. I, I will very often just say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm selfishly going to pray this. And I pray it. Because God knows that's the only thing I know to do. And yet for us, we, we have to understand, we do not know. Well, God doesn't want you 
to suffer. He wants you to be free of that. He wants you to be this. And I, and I, I can get a jump on that bandwagon of the, the theology of blessing, but I can never lose the fact that I don't know that. I don't know that what you're going through right now is not going to reap a harvest later on that is going to be more beautiful and more glorious to God than you could possibly imagine. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't know that. And Peter, Peter's going to continue to press this and press this in all the way through the end of chapter 4. And here's the closing verse. If you suffer in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Trust your lives to the God who created you. Why? He will never fail you. See, I don't know where you sit today. I don't know where you, how you came in today. And I don't, I don't know the degree of hardship or suffering or struggle you're walking through. Again, I don't mean to pin this as, well, you're not suffering with your life for Christ, so therefore you're not suffering. Don't hear me say that. I'm just giving you the context of what it was happening in Peter's time. But understand, like the Peter saying, no matter where you, no matter where you are, you can apply the fact that when you trust your life to the God who created you, you're going to want to be doing right. You're going to want to be living the way He's called you to live. Why? Because He doesn't fail you. No better verse to close on in terms of the application of this four chapters of how we're called to live, even in light of the suffering we may be in store for, and we may be at the center of his will when it happens, and yet there's still blessing. Trust him with all of it. Let's pray together. Father God, I feel sometimes that this letter could have been written last week. Um, just the way Peter writes it and the way we read it today, even the way we contextualize it in our own lives and culture and country and state that we live in. But God, I, I don't want to lose the context of who Peter was really writing to and what was really at stake. And, and God, even though we, we may not right now be suffering physically here, for your name. I don't want to undermine, God, the hardships and suffering that your people go through that, that ultimately, God, you want to walk with them through. Thank you for the, for the word. Thank you for this letter that Peter wrote that we can observe so many incredible things for our own life and our own faith, but most importantly, that you can be trusted with our lives. You created us. You can be trusted no matter what we're walking through and that you will not fail. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.